We are in uh, the book of First Peter tonight. Look at verses seven through eleven. Um, I ask you to stand in God's honor when you find that First uh, Peter four seven through eleven. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks... He should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can be together tonight. Uh, Just speak to our hearts, Father. We need to hear from you. Lord, you have us here for a purpose, Lord. You secure us in Christ until eternity and glory. But for now, Lord, we're here for a reason. As we talk tonight about that, I pray you would guide and speak to our hearts, Lord. That matters. And Father, speak far more than me. Speak, Holy Spirit. And may our hearts just hear what we need to hear that we may... Leave here, Father, more in tune with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, We were talking earlier. I had heard earlier this week, and I was talking to somebody at church about this earlier, about there's a a church in the Tri-Cities who has a website that they uh, put out for servers and restaurants, waiters and waitresses, because um, the truth of the matter is Sunday tends to be their worst day. And a lot of that pain comes from church people, sadly enough. Um, Some of the stories uh, I've heard that they share, because it gives them an opportunity just to write their story, what they experienced. And guys, it's just heartbreaking. I mean, you got people that go in there and they don't want to live a, they don't want to leave a tip, they'll leave a track, but no tip. Or they'll make some comment about, I give God 10%, so I'm not giving you 15%, and all this kind of stuff. And how are we going to let people know Jesus loves them if we act like that? You know, and I don't know what you guys do with the tips, but I I just mean church as a whole. And uh, it's just heartbreaking. Uh, But I wanted to share with you another example in here. about a guy named Christopher Hitchens, who was a critic of Christianity, and to be quite honest with you, he was hateful and uh, hard to get along with, just a real uh, aggravation. And uh, I tell you, sometimes I don't like social media. I'll just be honest with you. But he made some comments on uh, social media, and what was so disturbing was what the Christians said. On social media, how they responded. Now, I can get mad just like everybody else, okay? I know sometimes you just get mad. You get your dander up, as they say. 
But guys, they need to, we need to understand that we represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we have to be careful. We have to be careful how we represent ourselves. Here's just a couple of the comments. Uh, this guy ended up dying of throat cancer. It says, uh, how apropos losing the throat with which he used to blaspheme. They, uh, another one said, the foul reprobate in the end, knowing he shall die, will beg for forgiveness. Another said, I can't wait until the last little breath in this miserable body starts to fade. And then he will know if there is a God or not. And then the person wrote, and then there were some that were even worse than that, um, of Christians uh, getting ugly. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, you, you know, without Jesus Christ, he's headed to hell. But that's not something to celebrate. It's not something to be happy about. It, it, it's, it's, it's not a blessing. It should be a burden. And what this particular message I want to share on First Peter is the fact that we don't know how much time that we have. And we're here for a reason. And it's to be attractive. You know, we talk about, oh, we want to look good. You know, in this culture, you look on TV and it seems like so much of it is on looking good or, you know, whatever, you know, all these products. But we're also called to look good, but not just physical appearance. But we're to uh, let the love of God flow out of our lives. Um, we're to be salt, to add flavor uh, to those who are around us. And we're to be light. In, in other words, you know, there's, there should be something to, to look at that's illuminating. That, that allows others to, to you know, to, to be... Filled with joy and, and, and to see the good and to see the blessing. And it, it, it's just key that that's a part of the makeup of who we are. Um, in verse 11 here, it says, So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. And that should be what flows from our lives. That is the beauty that we should allow to come from us. Uh, as we look at our section of scripture here, we're to be alert, sober-minded so we can pray. We're to love each other deeply. We're to offer hospitality without grumbling. We're to use our gifts to serve. We're to speak God's truth. Uh, and we're to serve in the strength that God provides. And that shows forth the beauty He wants us to have. Uh, we'll just go uh, through these. Um, just the first part of the Scripture here. I, I want to begin with that first phrase, verse 7. He says, the end of all things is near. I think that's one of the most sobering truths. And I want to just start there because I think sometimes we forget how soon we'll be with Jesus. We just think that nothing's ever going to change and our little lives are just going to just, you know, rock along like they are now and and, 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 you know, everything's going to be great. But you never know at what moment the bubble might pop. You never know at what moment the Lord Jesus Christ may return. Because it says he'll come back like a thief in the night. You don't know when it's going to be. And so we're called to be ready and we're to watch and we're to pray. And also, we are, we may, he, we may see him in his return as he comes. And there's the rapture. 
But he may take us out of here before that as well. We don't know how long we have. I think through the years, I think it struck me a couple of years ago when I first came here. Um, I saw like three people my age died in one week. One was found dead in a pasture. He worked with racehorses. And uh, he had just had a health checkup and was in great shape. Then they found him the next day after that checkup uh, laying face down in the pasture at 10 o'clock in the morning. Nobody, I, I never did hear exactly what happened. Uh, and then two others. I, knew, I mean, unexpected. Y'all know when it's going to happen. And, and so when he talks about the ends near, I think sometimes that, that you know, I don't be morbid. But I think we need to be ready. And we need to be ready not just so we'll meet him, but we need to be ready so that our lives show others how to be ready. Sometimes they won't listen because they've seen. And what have they seen in me? What have they seen in you? Does it give them an appetite to want to hear what's there, what's attractive, what matters? As he starts out here in verse 7, you know, I love to talk about the uh, relationships, what life's about, and it's the cross. The vertical relationship and the horizontal relationship. Relationships or life. And the cross is what relationships are about. He starts out here with a vertical relationship, which is prayer. And I don't think that's by accident. Because the truth of the matter is, we're weak. The truth of the matter is, we need strength. And we need help. Oftentimes, we just pretend like we know what we're doing. We don't know what we're doing. And we need to call out to God. And so he starts out here, notice in verse 7, he says, Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled. Why? So that you can pray. So he starts out here, the first thing he says, Hey, you need to be a people who pray. You need to be a people who have a, a, a connection with a living God. And a conversation that's ongoing with a living God. You need to be in tune and in touch with God. Your prayer life needs to be alive. It needs to be active. And, and how does that happen? Well, first he says be clear-minded. Or, or in some translations it says be alert. And I thought of being alert. How often in this um, society we live in do we do a thing we call multitask? Man, I can be guilty of that. I'm trying to do three or four things at the same time, you know. And then act like I really know what's going on. And sometimes I hope I know just enough so I can get by. Well, that doesn't work real good with Cindy. Sometimes she'll say something to me and I'm trying to multitask. And she'll say, did you hear me? And I'll say, yeah. And then she does that dreaded thing and says, what did I say? Caught multitasking. What happened? I wasn't really alert. And God says that we need to be alert. We need to be clear-minded to the Spirit of God. You know, it says in Ephesians 5.18, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means to continually be filled with the Spirit. It means to have that ongoing walk with the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is alive in you. And there's an alertness that, that you're clear-minded to, to what, what God has to say and what God's up to. So you don't miss it. You know, one of the verses that's always caught my attention um, is in Hebrews 4.13. It says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God so that no bitter root may grow up to cause trouble and defile many. And, and that's, you know, we don't want to miss God's grace. 
Guys, that's, that, that's the key. And, and in prayer, it's, it's more than just, well, I'm going to take my 10 minutes today and, and I'm going to get before God and, and I'm going to lay out uh, this list that I have. No, it's, it's, God, help me really walk with you so that I can hear your voice, so I can be alert, so I can be tuned in. And, and you not just be one of many things I'm multitasking at the, at the same time. And then it says, um, as well, to be self-controlled. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit, and, and that's such a key in prayer. God, may I walk in the means of your boundaries. Because when I step out of your boundaries, I don't know when I'm going to step on a landmine and blow myself up or, or um, be outside of your plan, God. These things are such key to prayer. And we live in a society, in one sense, people say they're more spiritual than they've ever been. But what does that mean to be spiritual? Oftentimes it doesn't mean Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean a personal responsibility type relationship of walking with living God. It means getting in tune with the universe. And, and, and what I'm hearing a lot is people talking about, you know, there's this inside of me. There, there, there's just this um, sp- special power that, that I have to link to or be in touch with or you know, there's this spirituality, but it's not really seeking the Savior. It's not really seeking the Lord God. And there's a big difference. Albert Moeller, I don't know if you've heard of, of Moeller, but uh, he's um, one of the seminaries. He was one of the presidents for a while uh, at Southern. He said, the impression left by the total package is of a nation that increasingly embraces soft and self-centered forms of spirituality even as it rejects more demanding forms of belief, they see spirituality as a means of self-development. They want to get in touch with the universe, with their inner selves, but are not particularly concerned with what the Creator would demand of them. We need to pray because we need to know God's heart. We, if we're going to do the right thing, we need to know God's wisdom. Um, it would be like going into a foreign country and not speaking the language and losing what little bit of money that you had and say, man, I got to get somewhere where somebody can understand what I'm saying and get some more money or I want to be in real trouble. You have to get to the right place and the place that's got the proper resources so that you can get what you need. And God is that one that we run to. He's that one in prayer. So it starts in prayer. That's the vertical part. Then it moves to the horizontal part. Of being a Christian that is attractive. First um, Peter 4 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Remember what Jesus said they'll, they'll know you're my disciples if you go to church every Sunday. Or, no, that's not it, right? Or they'll know you're my disciples if you've got a big Bible. But that, no. Or they'll know you're uh, my disciples if you let everybody know how much you give every Sunday. It's a big amount, you know. No. He says, they'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. You see, when people, one of the things I think that breaks God's heart is when God's people don't get along. Because he calls us to love one another. He says, love covers over a multitude of sins. I saw one picture said that Christians, one guy said, Christians are like a group of porcupines. You know, they're hurting, so they want to cuddle together. But every time they cuddle together, they poke each other, you know, with those sharp 
you know, sharp points. And so it's in and out and in and out and in and out. As we hurt each other, it says, but cover over with love. Because it is through love that, you know, we overlook a multitude of sins. Because we got the sins, that's not the problem. The problem is God gives us strength to overlook other people's sins. Here's a poem someone wrote. They say the world is round, and yet I often think it's square. So many little hurts we get from corners here and there. But there's one truth I found while journeying east and west. The only folks we really wound are those we love the best. We flatter those we scarcely know. We please the fleeting guest and deal full many thoughtless blows to those we love the best. Love's more than just talk. Um, love is something that reaches out. It says in First uh, John three eighteen, dear friends, let us not love with words or truth. Dear friends, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. It's got to be more than just words or tongue. It has to be a truth that comes forth in the way we treat one another. And how we live. It's, it's, it's an action-oriented type of thing. And, and that comes in verses 9 through 11. It shows us here how to do that. It, it gives us the action-oriented of how we love one another. As it goes through here, verse 9, uh, this involves to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. To be aware of each other's needs. And to help one another without it being such a burden. You know, it says we're not, we're not to huddle together when someone's got a need and say, well, we got to help them because Jesus commands it, but boy, it's a pain. You know, <laughs> it's don't do that. He says, but when there's a love, it's reaching out to other people. It, it's showing hospitality. It's caring about them. It's making them feel at home. Because church is a place where we should feel at home. And, and so that's that, you know, that's the picture hospitality uh, being being shown forth. And, and then he goes on, he says. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. God has given each of us. Isn't it good that we're not all just alike? Thank the Lord that there are differences. And God wants us like puzzle pieces to fit together. He's made us different. He's given us specific gifts. And the key is that as we serve Christ and use our gifts, God works in such a way to meet the needs of the different people in the church. We're not out to um, meet our own needs. We're out to serve God. And as we use those gifts, it's amazing how he uses all of us to work together for his glory. And it, it comforts one another in the body of Christ. That, that's his work. Love is shown as his gifts, uh, the talents, the, the gifts that he gives us are utilized. It blesses the church. And as the church are blessed, those outside the church see Jesus. See, that, that's the work that he does. Sometimes we think, 
We've got to get the latest, greatest program, and that's how we're going to reach people for Christ. No, what we've got to do is come to a place to where we fall in love with Jesus, and that will help us fall in love with one another. And when we fall in love with Jesus and fall in love with one another, then we get a burden to reach outside these walls, and other people see that love and want to come be a part of the family of God and, and, and to follow Christ. That That's the the, the work that happens. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So that's how God works. As we use those gifts. And then, verse 11, not only serving but speaking. Notice what he says. He says, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. So as we speak, we need to ask, God, is this what you want us to say? Does this match up with you? Is your love in these words or not? God, are, are you, am I an ambassador for you in these words? For that we're to be speaking the very words of God. God, is this is is this what you want me to say, Lord? That our words match up with God's word. And then he says, if anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. As we use our gifts, it's through the strength he provides. So our speech and our service, why is it, as we mentioned earlier, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. You know, um, Paul had quite a time with the church in Corinth. Uh, in many ways, they were a gifted church. Uh, they were a church that uh, had come to Christ, but they were also a church where they were just immature, and they fought and argued about everything and gave Paul a major headache. Um, as a friend of mine uh, used to call it in his church, he said, I could get a lot done if I didn't have to spend so much time changing diapers. And, and you know, that was his terminology. Is just, man, people, let's grow up in, in Christ. And in the Corinthian church, uh, there was fussing and feuding, and that was a lot of what Paul wrote about in his letters. And when it came time for the Lord's Supper in that day in the church in Corinth, they would have a, uh, well, they must have been Baptists because they had a, Potluck, you know, and Lord's Supper, you have a big potluck. Everybody be together and you bring your food. But I would, you know what they'd do? Here was the deal. You you brought your pot with your beans and cornbread or, I don't think I ate beans and cornbread. But you brought your pot and had your food in it and you didn't share it with anybody. This is my food. So, you know, if a guy came in there and he didn't have his own pot of food, he didn't get anything to eat. And and there was a lot of bickering. And sometimes people come in there and start eating out of somebody else's pot. <gasps> oh, dear. He got beans out of your pot. You know, and there was this, it, there just wasn't a love there. There wasn't a hospitality. There wasn't a serving and sharing heart. And, and so in that 1 Corinthians 11, where it talks about sharing the Lord's Supper, you know, it says there's many of you who are sick. 
because of your disobedience. And, and it, it was they weren't taking the Lord's Supper seriously because Jesus died for them. And you need to take that with seriousness. But it also means that you need to love one another with a seriousness. And so people were sick. I remember I had a, an older pastor tell me one time, I never forgot it. He said, just remember that Jesus died on the cross for you. And in order to be mean to that person, you have to go through the cross to get to the other side. Because there's Jesus. And that's what was happening in Corinth. There, there wasn't a love that was spoken at those suppers. That's why that rebuke. There wasn't a service, but people brought their own pots and they ate out of their own pots and no one would share through that. And as a result of that, it was ugly. It wasn't a Christianity where people were growing and where love was evident. And that's what God calls us to. Uh, Rochester, New York has a unique reputation. Um, Back in 1940, it was given the distinguished award, the friendliest city in the United States of America. Um, They won the contest again in 1994, and once again in 2010, Forbes.com rated 100 of the largest cities in the U.S. and found Rochester, New York, to be the friendliest city of those 100 cities. The researcher was impressed about all this, so decided to research it and find out, well, is there some reason why Rochester is so friendly? And it went all the way back to 1829. It was known back then as a gateway to the West, and it was a boisterous, rough town in those days. And a daredevil named Sam Patch came to Rochester, New York, and he announced that he was going to dive from the local falls into a a pool of water. And uh, people came, you know, back in those days, they have all the electronic stuff we have now. They got the word out, and you had thousands show up to see Sam dive off this rock and be this daredevil and come up out of the water. And so they gathered and they cheered him on and Sam dove off of those cliffs into the water and they cheered and they waited for Sam to come back up out of the water. And they waited. And they waited. And finally they walked away. And it was later, about a year later, His body turned up. He had drowned. This daredevil didn't make it as they cheered him on and as he as he dove off. (laughs) And one of the Christians in that area, by name his his name was Josiah Bissell. He was in a Presbyterian church. And he spoke in the churches and he said, I saw many of you out there cheering him to dive into that dangerous place. And none of us talked to him about Jesus. None of us talked to him about life. And now it's too late. And so people became broken. And there was a real heavy feeling of remorse in the town. But this was also a very wealthy guy. So he hired... um, an evangelist paid six for his wages for six months. A guy by the name of Charles Finney. I think I mentioned Finney before. But Charles Finney came into um, Rochester and for six months he worked with the churches and the people of what it means 
to love one another. What it means to reach out and serve one another. Um, and guys, quite frankly, God went to work. And he transformed people. Here's some of the results that came out of that. Um, the city experienced a boom in churches being built. And it wasn't because they were splitting up. <laughs> it's because people needed place. They established a university. They set up a public school system. Numerous charities sprung up as people had a very giving hearts. The prison system received a major transformation. <laughs> and the city became central in the fight in those days to abolish slavery. Rochester was a station on the Underground Railroad. God, God did a magnificent work as people began to pray and as they began to love one another in the cross, vertical and the horizontal, and lives were changed and people came to Christ. The point's this. A people who are driven by nothing more than entertaining themselves and attempting to avoid being bored may feel grief but remain unchanged. But once confronted by the message of Jesus and the power of a loving and caring for others, people are transformed and shake their world. That's what we need. Let's pray. Lord, uh, Father, the world needs to see how beautiful you are, God. And sometimes I look around, well, I look in the mirror and say, God, you really don't have anything to work with here. But for whatever reason, you've chosen to work through us, Lord. It's never been about your instrument. It's been about you in control. And so, Father, I just pray, get a hold of my heart, Lord. Get a hold of the hearts of my brothers and sisters. Father, that we might show your beauty to other people. And that may begin by being... Um, clear-minded, alert, and, and self-controlled, that we might be a people who pray, seek you step by step, and that might lead us to love one another, Lord, in ways that can be measured. And, Father, as a result of that, it leads us beyond ourselves, Lord, that people might see Jesus, Lord. Um, how awesome that would be if, Lord, you got a hold of us in such a way, Father, that people would say, I don't want that. I, I need that. Tell me more. <laughs> and we could just tell them about you. That you're the foundation of anything good we have. And so Lord, as we take time to do business with you, we call this invitation or response time. If we need to pray, bring us to the altar. If we need to share with your people, bring us to share. <laughs> or if right where we are, we need to do business with you. Prick our hearts, God, that we might do business with you. Thank you for a chance to look at your truth, Lord. And that we might be a people of love who look up in your love and go out in your love, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.